hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We are doing a series at the moment called Cries of the Heart. In this series, we're exploring the deep needs of our life, the deep, deep needs, giving answer to the questions that define us. These are the questions we speak often into the dark and frustration and sometimes in despair. So we begun by looking at how knowing our Creator will be the biggest way to fulfill all of our needs. Uh, last week we asked the question, where do I belong? I mean, this is, this is a question that we, we could equally shout into an empty room, you know, where do I belong? Or equally, we might just say it very quietly to ourselves, where do I belong? And we found that the answer to this question is in knowing our Creator, is knowing God and knowing how we belong to Him. And also in being part of this people called the church and how we can know our belonging through being part of His family. This week, we have a cry of the heart that's huge. I think this cry of the heart is kind of central to many of our lives. And so we're going to have a look at this together. The question is this, do I matter? Do I matter? Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? Uh, This is the cry of the heart that often lingers in the background. It's like your bathroom fan. When your bathroom fan is on, after a little while, you don't hear it anymore, do you? But it's on, and it's there, and it's in the background. And as a result, it changes uh, a few things. Or it's like your windscreen. You know, when you've been driving, you've been going away on holidays, you don't look at your windscreen, you look through your windscreen. But the world that you see through your windscreen is coloured, is changed by what's going on on your windscreen. So if your windscreen is dirty or if it's tinted, you'll see the world slightly differently. And I think it's the same with this question, do I matter? It's there. Sometimes, though, we need to put our eyes on it. We need to focus on it so we can see uh, what effect it's having on our lives. There are moments when the question, do I matter, is all we can hear, though. It's not just the background noise. Moments of failure, moments of disappointment, those moments when we don't get the recognition that we wanted or thought we deserved, those times when we feel like we're stuck in life. You ever had one of those moments? Ah, just feel stuck, and uh, we're not moving forward in the way we want, and we're going, wow, if I can't move forward, do I matter? Moments when we have the potential of doing something big, but we're worried about whether we will succeed. There is a voice that says something like, do you really think your life will amount to anything? Do you think you could be something significant? When I finished my first round of Bible college study, I had the opportunity to take a job in a large church in Auckland, and I was afraid to do it. I talked with a wise mentor, and as I chatted to her, I realized what was preventing me from taking this position. I said to her with a tremor in my voice, but what if I fail? What if I make this move? And it turns out I'm not good enough or able enough. And, as for, and for me, as for many of us, the answer to that question is found in my accomplishments, in my successes, my position. So if I try and take a position and it turns out it's too much for me and I fail, then it confirms what I've always feared, that I don't have what, I take, what it takes, that my life 
doesn't matter. And if we're look, going to look at the root of this, then we can again, as we have all through the series, go back to the Garden of Eden. And that was the question they were asking right from the beginning. So the snake comes in, in Genesis chapter 3 and tempts them to eat the fruit. And let's have a look at the words that he uses to turn, cause them to turn away from God. Verse 5, it says of chapter 3, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, as soon as you eat the fruit. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, what did the snake really offer them? It was more than just a tasty bite of fruit. What the snake was offering them was he offered them more. He told them that there was more to life than God was holding back from them. They could have more wisdom and live a life that had greater meaning. All they had to do was reach out and grab it for themselves. And they did. They wanted to be more like God, to be more significant. Now, all human beings need significance. The question here was, how would they go about getting it? Would they trust God and the, the amazing significance he had already given them? They were the heads of creation. They were the pinnacle. They were able to steward and to make more out of the world in the position that had given them. Would they trust that that was enough? Or would they go out and would they grasp it for themselves? And as we know, they did grasp it for themselves. And they tried to gain significance outside of God's direction. Now, we all want to make something of ourselves. And people often talk about leaving a legacy that lasts after we've gone. And why is that? It's so that we know that we matter and that our life has meaning. Now, there is a real danger in this. And if this question begins to lead our life, then I think there are some things that we will begin to see. There are some outcomes. Uh, and three of them are the desire for recognition, overachieving, and underachieving. So the first thing you'll see if this question, do I matter, uh, leads your life, is the desire for recognition. Now, fame used to be so unattainable that no one actually thought about it much. We used to talk about your 15 minutes of fame because maybe the most fame you could ever get is if you got on a quiz show on TV and you were on for 15 minutes and then you left with a set of steak knives. And that was usually about all the fame you could ever imagine. Nowadays, though, with the rise of social media, with the rise of the internet, fame is actually more easily attainable. You can create a persona for yourself on Facebook, and you can create a post that goes viral, or you can become a social media influencer on Instagram and gather a following of people, or you can get some popularity on YouTube and have people follow you. I was looking this week at the uh, most influential stars under 25. And most of them are actually, they, do, they have a metric to measure this, are far more popular than people you see on TV. Uh, they use Jimmy Fallon, who's a popular nighttime talk show host, as a measure, and at least 20 of these people were more popular than he was by their metric. And an example of this was number 13 on the list, who was a 19-year-old named Lily Pons. Who's heard of her? Neither had I. Uh, she creates these things called Vines. Vines are seven-second videos that you usually play on repeat over and over again. Do you know how many uh, total 
uh, views that she's had of her videos. Seven billion. She was 13 on the list. Seven billion. That's a whole lot of views for her videos for a 19-year-old. I was quite shocked at that too. Uh, we might not, who she is, not know who she is, but she's made something of herself. And for a younger generation, that can be a measure of whether you matter. But for all of us, whether it's in that kind of an extreme way or not, we all look for recognition, don't we? We want people to recognize the good things that we do. might be that we are prone to fishing for compliments. Hey, what do you think of the way I did that? Well, the only answer is, you did great, right? Uh, or we uh, try and gain that promotion at work. I remember talking to one person who said that they had had an amazing year because they had done heaps and heaps of overtime. And as a result, they had got an award from their workplace, a recognition for all the work that they had done. But in the process, they nearly lost their marriage because they had spent so much time at work and no time focusing on the uh, people in their lives at home. Because the recognition that they got from work was feeding into that cry of their heart to say, do I matter? And it told them that they did. So they gave everything to it. And this, I think, is why parenting is so hard. Because you never get an award for well-behaved kids. Parents go, no, you don't. In fact, the closest to recognition that you're likely to get is when you get nasty looks at the supermarket because you wouldn't let your kid buy that Peppa Pig magazine and thus screaming the whole supermarket down. True story. But we all look for recognition in some ways. That can be one way that we uh, try to answer this question, do I matter? To look to know how we do matter. The other one is overachieving. We can put too much emphasis on achievement. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a personality test called Clifton Strengths Finder. They say every person has a potential to harness in different measures, one of, uh, or in different measures, 34 strengths, and they give you your top five if you pay $30 and do their test. We've actually just done it as a staff. It's, it's been a really helpful uh, process just to see how we can encourage each other in the strengths that we have. But it's really interesting that they say that the most common occurring strength out of them all uh, and they've all got these lovely names like includer and developer and arranger and, and futuristic. But the most common strength, which nearly one in three people have, is achiever. Achiever. That is where most of our society is bent towards. And I've I got to admit, I've got achiever, which is great because I know how to get stuff done. However, and I know this, maybe you do too, when our desire for achievement starts to define our lives, then it can be a very, very cruel master. The mindset leads to perfectionism. Perfectionism is not biblical. We all want to do things well, but our pursuit of excellence becomes motivated by pride or fear of failure. And when that happens, we have a problem. The overachiever never does enough. Because they don't feel like they are ever quite good enough. When we must achieve, one thing that can happen is that people become a problem rather than a joy. Have you ever said something like, can you just leave me alone? I'm busy and I don't have time for this right now. Anyone ever said that? I, I, was, I wrote this 
And then the next day I was doing something and my daughter kept interrupting me and I said, look, I'm just a bit busy right now. I was like, oh no, I just did it. (laughs) That can happen so often to our spouse or to our kids or to that annoying person who just always turns up at the worst time. They are in the way, but why? Why? What is fueling that kind of statement? It's the need to get things done. Yeah, for sure. But why do we need to get things done? Is it really from the pressure from your boss? Or is it your own internal pressure? That voice inside, that pressure to show that you matter, that voice that says, well, if you don't get this stuff done, what kind of a person are you? So there's the need for recognition. There is overachievement. And then, and the, some people are going, oh, this is great. You know, I don't look for recognition. I don't overachieve. But then there's underachievement. So, uh, yeah, you may think that you're doing uh, pretty well because you're doing nothing. But, but what can often happen is people look at those high-pressure environments and they say, well, look, I don't want to be unhealthy and I don't want to be a workaholic, so I'll just try and do, do nothing. But often that is just running away from the question, do I matter? Pretending that the bathroom fan is not running doesn't make it go away. I was reading about procrastination recently. I always thought procrastination procrastination was because people were lazy or because maybe they had something uh, better to do or because they couldn't focus enough. But it turns out that the main reason people procrastinate is that they're scared. They don't look at a task and go, oh, I'm terrified by this task. It might hurt me. No, people are scared of failing. And because they're scared of failing at this particular thing, they'll do something else that's easier to succeed at. Or they'll get lost in that rabbit hole on the internet because that kind of fills the need that they have for, for some instant gratification. Why is failing so bad? Because if I fail, what does it say about me? And some people live their lives this way. They only do things they can easily do because they're crippled by the fear of failure. The first time I ever went to the snow, I took some young people with me, and we did skiing lessons together. I couldn't ski, and uh, we did these lessons, and then we were able to go out on our own. And I went off, and I fell down a lot. And by the end of the day, I still wasn't a very good skier, but I could do a little bit, which I've now all probably forgotten. But I had a young person who came to me and said, oh, this was such a great day, I really loved it, I enjoyed it, and I didn't even fall down once. And I thought, well, that's true. They didn't fall down once, but they never really tried anything. They never got off the um, teaching slope, which is a very, very gentle grope. They just stayed somewhere they knew they couldn't fall. And I think that's the case sometimes for some of us. So in that moment when I didn't want to go to the big church in Auckland, what was happening for me was a fear of failure. Because if I don't go to that big church in Auckland, then I can say, look, I never failed, but I also never really succeeded. My problem was I thought if I have a chance to make something significant of it and it doesn't work out, then it shows what I most fear, that I am insignificant, that I don't matter. And I can't cope with that. In fact, it would be better if I didn't go because surely... It's better not to go than to fail. Can you ever recognize that in yourself? Have you ever thought that way? There's been something that you've been wanting to do, but you just haven't done it because really, I might not do it well enough. And what does that say about me? 
What all this shows is that we have a cry in our heart that says, how do I know that I matter? And that you, like me, need to find the God-given way to have that cry answered. And to do that, what we need to do is we need to replace some of the old messages. And I'm going to give you three things this morning. We've got uh, sermon notes, which you might have picked up on the way in. They're on the table on the way out if you missed them. But here are three things that you can look at during the week and you can hold on to. And so the next time you hear the fan, the next time you look at your windscreen and see the dirt on it, rather than looking through it, you can do something to clean it. You can do something to replace that noise. So the first one is this. It's not about what you do, but it's about what God has done. It's not about what you do, but it's about what God has done to show that you matter. The real tragedy, I think, of trying to prove that you're significant is that it can impact the way you approach God. In fact, some may even quote to you Matthew 5:48, and it says this, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And you go, wow, there you go. How am I ever supposed to live up to that? And it does sound like a demand for perfection on the face of it, but we've got to understand the context. Jesus is talking here in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's just finished out laying out and how we should love our enemies. How crazy is that? And many other things. And these are things that we cannot possibly be perfect at doing. But just before Jesus launches into this perfection section of his sermon, he gives us a clue as to what he means. Verse 17 of Matthew 5 says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. In other words, Jesus came to perfectly fulfill on our behalf God's demands on us for perfection. We can't do it. But through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, it has been done for us. Romans 3.23 shows that we can't be perfect. It says, For all have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. No one's perfect. But the good news is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God the gracious gift of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus has done what we can never do. He has given us peace with God. We are forgiven because of Christ's sacrifice. Therefore, we are pleasing to God in spite of our failures. We are significant because we have been justified, as the biblical word, justified by him. So the question is, Will we trust that this is the case? Or just like the Garden of Eden, will we keep on searching for more? As I talked with my mentor about my move to Auckland and said to her, what if I fail? She looked at me and she said two words which really, really helped me. So what? So what? So what if you fail? Would it make you any less acceptable to God? Would it mean that your life matters any less? And that was so freeing for me. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's not about what I do. It's about what he's already done for me that shows that I matter. I know this. I've got to put that somewhere in my heart because obviously I'm still struggling with it. And it gave me the freedom I needed to step forward and risk. It's not about what you do, your achievement. It's about what he's done, his perfection. 
And that gives you the freedom to stop having to prove yourself through overachievement and to not fear failure anymore. And then to live for him with all that you've got. So, the first step is to not worry about so much about what you do, but about what he has done. The second one is not to be a people pleaser, but to be a God pleaser. Once we know God's acceptance, we can devote ourselves to being people who live to please God rather than others. We don't have to prove ourselves to God, so why should we have to prove ourselves to anyone else? We can live with that freedom. It's been my pleasure over the years to supervise uh, church workers, and I think that this is a regular conversation that well, I have with them. Oftentimes, they will come in discouraged after a program was poorly attended, or they did a sermon, and they didn't really get much feedback from it, and they just walk in and they go, should I even be doing this? Am I even making a difference? Does, does what I do really matter? How do I know I'm making a difference? They want to know that they're having an impact through their work and that it is significant. And I could see this going on one week with three different people that I supervised. So I um, had meetings with them and individually sat down and I asked each of them a question. So when you've done a sermon or you've done a program, how do you know that you've done a good job? And they all answered pretty much the same. And they went, well... Uh, it can be because I kind of had some things that I wanted to do in the sermon and I did it, but, but really it's because of the feedback that people give me. It's because I can see that there was an impact. You know, we did an altar call and people came forward or uh, people came to me and said, you know, that's really been impacting for me. It's, and I said to each of them, that's not enough. That can never be enough. And I knew this because I've had to face this myself. Uh, I've had to face those times when I've questioned my own impact and I've questioned whether I mattered. And I've had to go before God and go, well, what, what should be my measure? How do I know? And so I knew how to respond to them in this moment. I told them that after each program, they should pray. And they should ask in prayer, God, did I honour you today? Did I do what you asked me to do? That should be the only question. And then everything else is, is, is important. It's helpful to get feedback from others. It's helpful to know when things aren't happening the way that they should or if you've made some error. That can all help. But it's secondary. What's primary is, are you pleasing God? Because that's what we're trying to do in the first place. And if we're pleasing God, then it will impact others. It just naturally flows from there. If they sense God saying yes, that should be all they needed. They should live to be a God pleaser and not to please others. One person who really got this was the Apostle Paul. In Acts 20, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem where he knows he'll be arrested. And as he says goodbye to his friends in Ephesus, he says these amazing words. Acts 20, 24. This is a great verse, one of my life verses. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. In other words, Paul says, I have one measure for knowing that my life matters. It is whether I have done what God has asked me to do. Whatever work you do, whether it be parenting or painting, whether it be in an office or whether it be out driving, 
Know that you are doing the work that God wants you to do. Know that you are doing something that He has called you to. And when you say, God, am I doing things that please you or am I doing it in such a way that pleases you? Then you know that you matter. I'm nervous when I get up to speak. And the truth is that at times I do. Um, Tiger Woods has this great quote. He says, uh, someone asked him, do you ever feel pressure? Uh, and he said, yeah, of course I do. He said, when something matters to you, you're going to feel some pressure when you're doing it to do it really well. And so I think that's true. But I've found over time that, yeah, there are little ways that I do get nervous, and sometimes more than others. But what I've noticed, which I think is really interesting, is there are times when I'm able to focus more on uh, the effect of what my sermon's going to have rather than on me within that. What I mean is that there are times when I look uh, to, as to how pe are people going to like the sermon? Do I look okay? Do I sound okay? Have I got the right stories? Are people going to laugh at my jokes? Probably not. Uh, what is the effect going to be for me? And those are the times when I get more nervous. But I find that there are times when I'm just focusing on, God, what are you doing right now? What are you doing in the hearts and the lives of the, the people? And as I focus on that, I forget about myself. I worry less about me. And I'm able to see God moving and doing things. I can focus on what he is doing and come alongside his work in these moments and give something that might help his kingdom come in your life, hopefully just a little bit more. And I'm way less nervous. There is a, a big difference between serving others for God and please, pleasing others for your own sense of significance. And I pray that we'd all see that whatever work we're doing, wherever we are, that we're doing it in some way to bring God's kingdom just that little bit more. So how do we know we matter? It's not about what we do, it's about what God has done. Our focus is on pleasing God, not pleasing people. And finally, don't crave recognition, but desire faithfulness. Don't crave recognition, but desire faithfulness. It's not about recognition, it's about being faithful with all that God has given us. After Paul talks in Acts 20, 24, about finishing the work assigned to him by Jesus, he says this, And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. Verse 26, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. For Paul, success in knowing that you matter is not about fame. It's about faithfulness. Isn't that an incredible perspective? So healthy. In everything we do, we can know we're doing it for God. Knowing this takes away all the striving and competing that we get stuck in. The ways that we try and prove ourselves. As the classic line goes, when we get to heaven, God is not going to say, well done, my good and famous servant. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Casting Crowns wrote a song that I find really challenging. They called it Only Jesus. It goes like this. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won will crumble unto dust when it's said and done. Because all that really mattered, did I live the truth to the ones I love? And I, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't want to leave a legacy. 
I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. Isn't that an amazing perspective? My life matters when Jesus is glorified. My life matters when I give everything to his kingdom. Our legacy are the people we showed his love to faithfully. Then we trust God that he is going to take our work and use it to make a difference in others' lives. So may you have a response the next time that cry for significance erupts, the next time the noise moves from the background to the foreground, and you hear a voice that says, how do you know that you matter? I don't need to know I matter, but I just need to know that I'm faithful to God. I don't need to have achieved some great thing in my eyes or the eyes of the world, but I'm significant because I live to please God. I shouldn't fear failure because God, by his amazing grace, has forgiven me from all of my failures. I know I matter because I know God and I live for him. Do you know that today? Is that the, the words that echo in your heart? I know that I matter. Here's the application. I've asked you guys plenty of questions this morning, and I want to just sum those questions up. The question that I want you to ask of yourself as you go through this week is why? Why are you doing what you're doing? The next time you try and present the perfect image, why? When you have a job, but you put it off and get distracted by other things, why? When people are in the way of your focus uh, and they get in the way of what you want to do and they become a nuisance, why? When you work and work and put yourself under immense pressure, why are you doing that? When you're fishing for compliments, <laughs> or you get upset because they didn't notice the work that you did and I worked so hard and you didn't see it and you haven't noticed why is that so important? If your exploration leads you to conclude that it's because you are searching for significance, may you turn to God in prayer and find it in his arms. I have the band up behind me. Do you know, I hear this sometimes from people who are successful. I think Jim Carrey said it. Uh, I think there's been tennis players who have said it as well. But when they got to the top of the pile, when they became as famous as anything, as famous as anybody could possibly be, when they became number one, when they achieved everything they thought would give them meaning in life, they reflected and they said, you know what? It's all kind of hollow. As much as we thought that would fulfill us, as much as we thought that that was going to be the pinnacle of our lives, now that we're here, now that we're at the top, there's still something missing. And can I suggest to you today that no matter what you do, no matter how much you try and please people, you can keep everybody happy. And they might dull things a little bit, but there'll still be something underneath that says, oh, I still don't know if I really matter. The only thing that can tell us that we matter is when we honestly come before God and say, God, will you tell me who I am? 
Will you tell me the way that you've made me? Will you give me the freedom to live in that rather than trying to prove myself? And then we have freedom to step out and to live for him. To live towards the commands that he has. Even if we fail, we come back to him and we keep on going. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.